said I was a better person than I knew I was. Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Minnesota. Kristen Lyerly and OBGYN is on the Fox River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die happy, 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 happy. Welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankshead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and if, if, if you're in my screen, the, the person that's above in heaven is uh, Dr. Kristen Lyerly o- over there. Hi, Kristen. Thanks, Kirk. Hi. <laughs> so this is the Up North Podcast. We started doing this every uh, week at 7 o'clock. Uh, this is uh, a progressive viewpoint coming from northern Wisconsin, which has largely been, been left to fend for ourselves as progressives. And so uh, we're going to talk about the issues of Wisconsin. Uh, tonight's issue was brought to us. Uh, Kristen really wanted to talk about this, and we're going to talk about uh, Nate's Mission, and uh, which is an organization in, uh, that talks that's trying to get justice uh, for victims of clergy abuse. And Kristen, tell us more about why you wanted to talk about this today? Well, as you know, I live in Green Bay and Green Bay has a deep Catholic tradition. We've got a giant school system associated with Notre Dame. We've got a big Catholic church system. People have lived here, families have lived here for generations and St. Norbert College is here. So a lot of people who have been affected by clergy abuse live in this area and they are looking for answers. They are looking for justice. So a dear friend of mine, and, and you know, we all know about it and we talk about it in hushed tones, but a dear friend of mine brought it to my attention that there was some movement recently. And we just wanted to have this discussion and give the folks from Nate's mission a chance to share their story, tell us how they it came to do what they're doing, and see if maybe just raising some more awareness will make a difference. Cool. Now, before we get into that, we have about a couple more minutes. We don't want to miss a few of the main issues of the week. Um, and one of them is the, our good old friends, uh, uh, Wisconsin Institute of, who are they, public, these guys will, Law and Liberty, which is this really right-wing law firm. They just came out today and, and they, they're, they're going against Janet Protasiewicz, who's running for Supreme Court Justice. She's a progressive judge. The reason they're going after her is because she's winning. She's outraised everybody uh, in the field. And so uh, they're trying to say that she's broke some sort of a code of conduct. Kristen, what's going on here? Hey, this is just silly, but you know, they, it's, no holds barred. So whatever they can do to get the word out in their conservative talk radio kind of way, the lies that they say over and over and over again start to become reality for people. So Janet has been very transparent about things that she believes are true, things that she has personal opinions about, because keep in mind, judges are people who live in the world. So they have feelings and they have opinions. She called the our maps, our gerrymandered maps rigged not untrue. And she said that the SCOTUS decision to overturn Roe was wrongly decided. I mean, there's so much legal precedent there that these are not damaging comments, but they are making it sound like these are damaging comments. So just to set all of our listeners straight, uh, they say that she's violating a judicial code of conduct. 
And uh, this by saying that the code of conduct says a judge or judge elect or candidate for judicial office shall not make or permit or authorize others to make on his or her behalf with respect to cases, controversies or issues that are likely to come before the court, um, which means basically that she'd have to tell us that I will rule this way if this court, if this comes before me. Her just saying that the maps are rigged is a is an observation that 80% of Wisconsinites share. So that's those, those are the differences. That's a little bit of the uh, of the uh, of of kind of the controversy of the week. Something else happened, Kristen. Were you there at the governor's inaugural or address or the state of the state or or did you watch it or what? Because I didn't I didn't watch it. Yeah, I was in my living room. But before we move on to that, I think it's important to mention that the conservative candidates, one of whom has the word conservative five times on his homepage, they have very strong opinions that they have expressed against the LGBTQ community and other things. So this is not something that only Janet owns. This is something that all of the judges have. Everett Mitchell stayed away from a lot of issues, but I think, again, as people, they just are people who live in the world. So having said that, yeah, the state of the state, it was fantastic. So um, give us one great moment from the state of the state, and then I want to get into uh, into our next segment. I'll tell you my favorite moment. Okay was when Governor Evers was talking about small business. And, you know, he grew up in Plymouth, which is real close to Fond du Lac. And he had just given his wife, Kathy, this beautiful tribute. They've been married over 50 years. And he was talking about how Edith's bridal bridal store is still there. And that's the place where she got her first wedding gown. And then he realized that he said first wedding gown, and then he backpedaled. And then he kind of forward pedaled a little and it was so cute to watch him get uncomfortable and everybody was laughing it was a really sweet moment so that was my favorite but he spent a lot of time tipping his hat to small business he focused on mental health pointing to the republicans and the democrats recognizing that this was not a partisan issue there was so much good stuff that came out of this address the republicans just looked bored and pissed off the whole time and i, I was pretty sure andre shock was either dying or sleeping but i'm i, I think it's sleeping now and then the marching band came in the UW marching band came in, which for me was the best part. And the, the Dems were like dancing and clapping and the Republicans were like, mm. so, I mean, like, those are not my people. Okay. So uh, before we, uh, before we take a musical break, I wanted to talk about when you started, um, uh, when you talked about, we're going to talk to Nate's mission, we're talking about clergy abuse. Uh, we're going to talk about how Nate's mission wants more leadership from uh, the attorney general's office, the Wisconsin Department of Justice. They're they're waiting, they've been waiting, and they're, they're looking for leadership. We're going to talk about that. But when you mentioned that to me, this the reason this kind of made me want to do this show is that that I've been through a lot of waiting as well um, with the attorney general's office. And, you know, we, the Monaco Brewing Company Super PAC, we took Ron Johnson, Tom Tiffany, and Scott Fitzgerald to court for aiding and abetting the insurrection. I begged and pleaded publicly and tried to reach privately anybody at the attorney general's office because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring suits outside of government. Uh, and so, so you know, when when Nate's mission was mentioning that they were waiting, I was like, yeah, I was waiting as well. Um, and then we have Law Forward, which is a group that raises millions of dollars from donors. I don't know if you've donated to them, but I've donated to them. Progressive donors around the country pay lawyers to to help us on our behalf, but it's costs so much money. They're the ones, not the Attorney General, who have brought a suit against Robert Spindell uh, for for 
actually sitting on the WEC and the Wisconsin Elections Commission, he is a fraudulent elector. elector. Mm -hmm. He decided to vote to throw away the case against the fraudulent electors, and he was one. And they're trying to bring a suit that says you can't do that. You know, and then the most important suit that the law forward has brought um, that in my opinion, should have been a Josh Call, Attorney General, bringing it was they brought a civil suit against all the fraudulent electors for for monetary damages, not criminal damages, because they can't sue for criminal damages because you know they're not the Attorney General. So so this resonates with me. We're going to move into this uh, topic with the Catholic Church, but I want to be fair. Uh, we I want to be fair to the Attorney General. I don't. I mean, he is a Democrat, and I'm a Democrat. We share we share a belief system, uh, but. But I, I want to hear what these guys have to say, and we will get right back to them in, uh, in about 30 seconds. Welcome, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for coming back and joining us. We have an extra long segment today because the story seems very long. Um, we have uh, Peter Isley and Sarah Pearson here from Nate's Mission. Um, Kristen, can you give us a little more background about 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 Nate's bit. Actually, welcome guys. Let, let's let you give Why us a background about your, own, yep. your, your own, uh, about your own mission. But you're talking to 70,000 people, a lot of them Wisconsinites, who just don't know that much about this issue, uh, clergy abuse, and, and we want to we wanna, we wanna share it with them. Well, thanks. You know, Nate, Nate's mission is actually named after Nate Lindstrom. Nate, Nate Lindstrom was a victim of Norbertine priests as a child, sexual assault. And Nate took his life a couple of years ago. And now the clergy abuse activism and issue has been around a long time. I, I've been at it 30 years. I'm one of the founders of SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. That's like 30,000 of us now around the world. And then I've moved on to ECA, which is Ending Clergy Abuse, which is an international global organization of survivor activists and leaders and human rights uh, activists and such. So this has been going on a long time. You talk about a long issue. Actually, the first mention of this uh, in historical documents is the third century. Wow. Well, should we start there? <laughs> the Diocese <laughs> of Antioch has not released their names no, <laughs> of abusers. And it's it's emerged throughout the course of, of the history of the, of the Catholic Church. Of course, it's not just a, a problem in the Catholic Church, as the Catholic Church likes to tell us all the time, but it's something unique to the Catholic Church, and we can talk about that, why there's something specific about this issue in the Catholic Church, and why it's absolutely legitimate to say, yeah, there's something about this structure and this organization that has reproduced uh, this kind of sexual abuse, uh, sexual abuse of clergy intergenerationally or generationally for, for, for decades, and why it has emerged only over the last 20 or 30 years. So anyways, Nate Nate was, uh, was an unbelievably 
a terrific, wonderful person. Um, it's hard to talk about him. I mean, Nate, uh, yeah, he, he, had, he had a family. He had three children, young children. Uh, one was two, I think, 10 and 12, I believe. Peter, just watching your face, you can see, we can all see, like talking about this just is re-traumatizing. Every time you bring it up, even though you do it, you live this every single day and you've dedicated your life to this. It's just hard to talk about. I appreciate you saying that because I'm a victim of child rape by a priest, a Wisconsin priest from the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, religious order priest. I was 13 and it was a boarding school. It was a seminary boarding school, which is still operating, which is amazing because there's hardly many of them. But I mean, in this boarding school, in uh, the complete control of, 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 of these monks. And there was 50 of them there. And like at least 10 of them were like sex offenders, at least. And some of them were career sex offenders. The guy that assaulted me was known about for years and he continued to assault. He, I've talked to maybe 47 victims of his over the years. I'll follow wow. And it is painful because each time it's new, it's the same each, I mean, it's, it's always the same each time, but I, I just want to tell you that I appreciate hearing that because, because the Green Bay community is uh, up there with Nate and and his classmates and stuff that that's why we're here today. And, and Nate, Nate, Nate had one thing he wanted, which was this investigation. He thought it would never, this day would never happen. And the problem we're going to talk about, I hope today is, why is it in, still not happening, really? Well, so, let's then, talk about the investigation. So how did this all get started? And then eventually we're going to get to where is it now? So how did this get started? Sarah, maybe you want to take it. Sure. Well, I mean, this this conversation about a statewide investigation into clergy sexual abuse um, in Wisconsin has been going on for 30 years. Like I have old press releases and there's a video of Peter, you know, almost three decades ago advocating for an investigation like the one that we had hoped to see from attorney general call. So that's been going on for a really long time. Um, we had tried to talk to other attorneys general in the past um, about this. I think we approached Schimmel one time when we were together, yeah. um, former Republican AG Brad Schimmel, um, and he ran away from us in a hallway <laughs> when we tried to talk to him about it. And, um, you know, we were really encouraged because we saw that um, in debates, Attorney General Call had seemed like he was leaning towards um, investigating. And it really, it was after Nate's death that um, this conversation really opened up. We'd met with him several times before, but they had reached out to us and Nate's family and they wanted to talk about what this would look like. And, you know, we we gave them everything we had. We gave them the whole history. Um, we, we talked about, um, you know, what we anticipated the church would do to obstruct this kind of investigation, what it was that survivors really wanted to see out of it. Um, and that conversation went on, you know, for a few months, and then that was announced in April of 2021. And unfortunately, what we've seen um, has been nothing like what we asked for. And um, unfortunately, you know, there's been no visible effort on the part of the AG's office to compel any of these um, Catholic dioceses or religious orders um, to share any documents or evidence with the AG's office. And it's really 
you know, putting the burden on, you know, survivors to report for them to get any information. And that's just not right. It should be coming from the church. Okay. So I watched the video that you guys put out on your website. Kristen uh, clued me into it. And, and I, we've gone kind of back and forth over the last week over email. Um, so you said this, you know, you met with the AG's office in April of 2021. It is now it is now January of 2023. So more than a year has gone by since you've given the documents that, you know, that implicated probably uh, several members of clergy, it had testimony and everything. Um, you wrote to me that you've been, you know, following up with the AG's office, with assistant AGs. And at one point they emailed you back and that email back, uh, caused me to feel despondent for you guys. It seemed like there, it, it, it was like a giving up. Can you tell me your thoughts on the, the responses you've gotten from the AG's office about this case when you've been pushing to see action? Well, well, I mean, I, I, I like the attorney general personally. I'll just tell you, I, I, you know, as a person, I like him. I, it's kind of ironic or strange because he backed the Child Victims Act when you first ran for governor, the Child Victims Act would be legislation that would open up uh, civil cases for victims of clergy abuse or of all abuse in Wisconsin, sexual abuse, uh, because the statute's been so poor, it's been so bad, just a few years traditionally. So it would open it up a grandfather period, like a period of time, two years, where victims could bring their cases and they would have to prove their cases in civil courts. So I don't want to go too much into that, but he was a supporter of that. And um, his mother was attorney general and she was not. <laughs> so when I first met him, I was like, you know, your mother uh, <laughs> didn't. Did, uh, We're talking about Peg Lautenschlager, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Peg Lautenschlager. So I don't know. The, the family has, interestingly enough, has been very deeply involved in, in, in this issue as attorney generals uh, and very consequentially. But, um, you know, I think the thing is, you know, that out of the Milwaukee, you know, and I hate to to get in the weeds, I don't want to, but you know, it's like, I tell people this isn't a Kafka short story, although it, you know, each st abuse story is like that, but it's a Tolstoy novel. And it's like, oh, I got to go to chapter 104 to go to, you know, chapter 36 and up to, so I don't want to, I don't want to do that because it's, 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 it's complicated and they make it complicated. You want to get, get away with something, you get a hundred thousand lawyers and consultants and make it complicated. But the thing is, is that what, 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 on, on its own, let's just tell you on its own, when the Milwaukee Archdiocese filed for bankruptcy, and that's a whole nother thing. Okay. There were in the, in, in the direct victim reports, you know, you file into bankruptcy, you had to have a very detailed, very detailed account of who assaulted you, when it happened, who you talked to, and so forth and so on, you know, pages and pages, right? So this is what, here's a funny word for this, criminal evidence. Okay, this is like, all right, yeah, it's, it, you're a creditor, but it's also like direct criminal evidence of child abuse and child rape. And it's all being gathered together. I mean, it's like for law enforcement, I thought, hey, they, they're, you know, this is doing the job for you. This is half your job. And so you've got a lot of evidence. I mean, a bunch of when this case was when this investigation was started, already yes, people were sharing their stories. There was a lot of evidence there from what you were just talking about. Like, what happened with all of that? What is the AG doing with all of that? Well, you know, I'll give you because this is so important. I hate to to keep going on this, but the, that that bankruptcy stuff—it's sealed. The the church sealed it, 
in court, the, the federal judge let him do it. It was Randa, if you remember him. Mm-hmm. So they easy. can't use any of that. Well, I mean, they can go get it. The attorney general can go get it. His, he and, has you know the power to unseal it. The, the archdiocese says there's 48 substantiated offenders. Okay, they haven't moved that number for, since 2004. In just that document set alone, those direct victim reports, there are alleged, okay, and most of them are going to be true because false allegations are going to be uh, a, per, a small percentage. These are, that's a fact. There's what, 218. 218. Offenders, okay, mentioned, you know, the directly alleged over the past decades who have abused children, priests, nuns, youth ministers. Okay, so we have a factor. Look at the difference 48, 218. And the only persons, I'm sorry, I get so freaking worked up. The only person allowed, the only institution organization allowed to determine whether all of those allegations are true or false is the church, is the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. Nobody else has invested. So that that alone, yeah. we went to him with and to and to a district attorney a Chisholm many times. I've, I've met with John many, many times. His predecessor, unfortunately, was directly involved in covering this up. I am not saying this as a allegation. This is a fact. It's in the files. He was involved with uh, some of the one of the worst predators around here. He told them he gave them. They asked him for advice. The predator is Frank Becker. He was abusing kids in real time. And in the file, he's in the file. And it's like they called Mike and Mike was like, okay, he's got enough warnings. Take him out of ministry. And if you don't hear anything about him in a few years, put him back in. Okay. He didn't confess any of it. So what I'm saying, you know, there's a long history here. There's plenty of, of, of reasons why this investigation should have been kicked off a long time ago. And so finally we thought, okay, this is being kicked off. We had met several times. The Pennsylvania grand jury investigation, if you if you know about that, that's what started this cascade of attorney generals around the country finally feeling they have enough legitimacy, political cover to be able to do this, public cover to do this. And so, okay, he Josh comes in and he's going to do it. You know, I was shocked, you know, when he, when he said he's going to do it. What so kind of been- promises did he make when he initially opened the investigation? Well, there's a few things they had told us were priorities in this investigation um, that have been contradicted by, you know, the actions of their office and, you know, things that we've heard, like the email that I believe Kirk, you referenced. But I mean, for one, um, they had told us that their number one priority in the investigation was ensuring the accuracy of these lists that the church has put out. So, you know, for your viewers here, for a little context, You know, there are five dioceses in the state of Wisconsin in a number of religious orders, and um, each has now, um, with with, uh, the Diocese of Superior putting theirs out, I believe in November, like right before Thanksgiving, they now all have their own lists. But as Peter mentioned before, with the whistleblower documents that we have and that we gave to the attorney general, um, the lists that are coming from these whistleblowers are exponentially greater um, than what the church has provided. Um, we were assured by the attorney general that um, vetting those lists, ensuring their accuracy was one of his top priority. They said that's our number one priority. Um, and the attorney general himself said on a call um, with the two of us and Nate Lindstrom's family that he knew those lists weren't accurate. And so he's he's made it you know, known to us that he's, he's aware of those inaccuracies. We were also told um, by... The deputy attorney general, Eric Wilson, that they believe that they had the resources necessary 
to um, do an effective investigation. And now it seems to be um, no one's answering any questions about what the budget is for this, what kind of staff has been dedicated to this. Um, so that's um, right now is really unclear and they're not responding to any inquiries by reporters or by us about it either, or to you. Yeah, because, so well, they did respond to us, but we gave them kind of a short period of time. So they were willing to have a conversation in mm-hmm. the future, but this was just not going to fit into their schedule, to be fair. Yeah, okay. yeah sure, sure, no, sure. No, I, I, I got to tell you, though, <laughs> you know, I'm like, if you can't, and why, why do you need time? You know, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it's like I've seen this happen. You know, this has happened with uh, with some when the stories about the when this has come out a couple months ago, when we sort of like, look, you know, this is what's happening with this. He's giving documents to the church. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, he's not going to talk to us. We're going to give. I'm not saying he's not going to do it, but I'm. I'm telling you, I've had been. I'm so sick of this. You know, it's like you can answer the questions. What do you need? Twenty four hours. You don't no, need no. it. Answer the damn questions. You're absolutely right. I believe uh, we 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 asked them questions that you posed to us. Uh, she got back to me and said they didn't have time to 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 go on the show. But I asked them just to answer the questions. So I, I agree with you. They could have. Um, let me let me recap what what I heard you just say. You've been, you know, you you had high hopes over a year and a half ago or so. Um, you've 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 slowly they've been contacting you less and less when you've been pushing harder and harder to see something come out of this. They promised you that at least they'd get make sure the lists of the abusers were more accurate, probably much higher than the published lists. Uh, the attorney general has the ability to uncover uh, the sealed documents that can verify if those lists are accurate. But he has yet to do that. Um, and then you also said that he uh, not only th- that they were going to. Um, um, uh, th- well, another thing. So and that's not a recap. But the next question is, I read in that email that they sent back to you. I think you said Eric was his name, the assistant, the assistant yeah. attorney general that. Mm-hmm. They, he was worried about the aggressive lawyers that the Catholic Church had. Right. Well, that I caused that scared me because I'm like, oh my God, we need aggressive lawyers at the Department of Justice. You know, we 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 what? shouldn't be scared of other lawyers, especially the ones from the Catholic Church. Exactly, and I can I can tell you about that because that stemmed from the whistleblower documents we gave to the AG's office. That was yeah, last January, right about this time. So we had heard from whistleblowers, um, one in particular who had reached out to them and said, I have some documents that are really concerning. You know, they demonstrate that the, you know, Catholic diocese is lying, that the Archdiocese of Milwaukee is lying about this number of offenders and they know it to be much higher. And here's the thing. Some of them appear to still be in ministry. Some of them appear to still be teaching in schools. So it's not like this this thing like they're all they're all dead they're all retired. I'm like this is going on right now. This is a current threat to public safety. And this whistleblower was concerned like you have to like um they called the AG's office and said I have this and um you know the person on the phone was like this seems really really important. You know, I'm I'm not sure what we should do with it. Like let me talk to people and I'll get back to you right away. And then crickets, radio silence, nothing. They never responded to this whistleblower. So, I mean, that's why we took 
these documents to them because we were like, this is, this is an ongoing threat to public safety. Like this needs to be in their hands. Like this needs to be investigated. So we printed them out, you know, as many as we could afford to print and hauled them up the stairs to the Capitol. Um, so we could get them to the AG. Now what happened with the assistant attorney general, I believe that was Elliot held is, um, it was. Yes, yes, that was him. <laughs> so we, I was having a conversation with him and, you know, we had our our wonderful lawyers from Center for Constitutional Rights um, who were representing us because the church was, you know, insinuating that they wanted to sue us over this um, for giving these documents to the attorney general and, you know, for characterizing them to the public because of our concern. And, you know, I had been asking Elliot, like, well, how many did you give back? Like, we're really concerned. These whistleblowers, they put their careers on the line to give this information because they were concerned about what could happen to children in this state. And we find out that they gave documents back. I was asking, you know, how many, you know, all these questions and they, you know, all we could figure out from that call was that, you know, it was more than one and that they put it on a flash drive and delivered it to the same lawyer who was threatening us. And, you know, so. So this is important, I think, to clarify for our audience. So, so people who probably worked at, you know, the church as staff, maybe they weren't necessarily clergy or maybe folks that worked at some of the schools as, as staff, but were not potentially part of the clergy would came forward and gave their story uh, to you guys, who then you guys gave it to the attorney general, those stories put their jobs in danger, probably mm-hmm. because they're yeah. hired by the Catholic church. Yeah. So if well, it the puts attorney them in ge- danger, yeah, uh, they're in danger, them in danger, but at mm-hmm. least we don't know what kind of danger necessarily, but it seems obvious that at least their jobs are in danger. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Right? So, uh, and so you gave that to your attorney general, the attorney general handed over the names of these whistleblowers to the lawyer for the Catholic church? Not the names, but um, they were given to the church. So, but those kinds of documents and, you know, the potential origin of where they could come from is indicated, you know, in some of those pages, um, which would make it easier to find who these people are. And, you know, we were concerned and, you know, to be clear, the day that the investigation was opened. I mean, we saw the the videos. It was it, Josh Call said, you know, if you have any information about this, no detail is too small. We want to see it. Um, so those people were operating under the assumption that they actually wanted to see it, yeah. and that's you know that's why we delivered it to yeah, them. Yeah, we specifically, and I wouldn't rule out clergy as being part of the individuals that have been providing documents. Don't rule some of them out. Believe me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and they're also in trouble, in big trouble if they get determine who they are. But I mean, look, I mean, this is this is what's so shocking. There's two things about this that that were absolutely shocking to me. One was when the investigation was launched, the archdiocese uh, lawyer, chief lawyer, Frank Lococo, issues a public letter saying we're not going to cooperate with this investigation. Okay, we're not going to. I'd like a three, four page letter. He's got to mention me in the letter. He's got to put me in there. I mean, these they're so 
you know, and they 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 got away with this bankruptcy. Frank and the lawyers made more money in that bankruptcy. There was 670 victims or whatever. They made more money than all victims combined. All victims combined. Victims got like 2,000, 30,000. Lawyers got like 27, 28 million. This is a, so okay, okay, so, you know, you can, and he's, you know, his his son's a priest, blah, blah, blah. It's very, it's very personal for him, blah. But the point is he does this. There's this big story about this. And he, what is his claim to do this? First Amendment. It's the First Amendment. Okay. Now, people need to understand this history with this First Amendment issue in religion in Wisconsin and the Catholic Church. In the 1990s, the Catholic Church, because cases were being filed against them in civil court, depositions were underway. That's how you get the truth out. Okay. They got to go on this stand, these bishops. Okay. They got to, they got to be deposed when there's evidence that they covered up, you know, for crimes. Okay. And they got to answer questions. It's quite great when you see them have to answer questions. Suddenly they're not in the position of being in power and authority and telling everybody else what to do, but that's how you get it. That's how you get documents. Okay. So in the 1990s, the, the church, Matt Flynn was their lawyer at the time, went to the Supreme court here and said, first amendment, you cannot bring a case against a church for a sexually abusive clergy, for a pedophile clergy uh, and their bishop, you know, negligent supervision because of the first, it interferes with the practice of religion. Yeah. Okay. And he, he actually said, if I can interject, this will make it nearly impossible to sue the church. Yeah. Which is yeah. the whole point. Now they've tried this all around the country. This argument it has failed everywhere, but here. So they are the this, only state that yes. has this kind. You're kidding. That's correct. No, I'm not kidding. You know, it, it, we're the only, and it's still in place. So doesn't and, that make it really hard for the attorney general to do his job with those kinds of limitations? Well, I mean, this is civil. I'm talking about civil cases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he doesn't, it is, he's got nothing to do with that. He's investigating criminal acts. That's what his, that's what he's supposed to do. So he's got nothing to, I'm just saying what it made it hard mm-hmm. to do was for victims, not only to get compensation, but for the truth to get out. We found a way to get documents out. Anyway. I won't go into it, but think about this. And then what did the diocese do? Just people need to know this. What did Archbishop Weakland do? Who was a great, you know, great, he's the most liberal bishop in the United States. Just forget about this liberal conservative. It's a false divide. It is an absolutely false line of division, especially with this issue. He goes after victims for costs, court costs. That's what he did. No bishop in the United States ever did that. Okay. Then they have to have another decision two years later to seal it up. It's called the Doe decision. I won't go into what that meant, but it's Janine Geske that wrote that decision, a liberal. Again, only in Wisconsin. So here you've got this First Amendment history. Okay. They don't have to report abuse the way the law is written. They don't have to. In many ways, anybody, I guess, in the in, in the world of activism or whatever, re- finds this out in very painfully over the years. Because we were successful at exposing this crimes and all this kind of stuff, it's actually worse for victims now, legally, because they 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 took, they reacted in a way, you know, three doors down in Madison and everything, to make the situation better for them when it, when, you know, when the attention passed away, that, that, that's what they, that's what they did. So, but here they come out and say, we're not going to do this based on the first one, making this argument, making this argument, public argument about public policy and the law. And the attorney general says nothing. He does not, he says nothing about this. You know, just on just on the face of it, it's like you've got to you've got to stand up against this horrible argument and say whatever you're doing, this is absolutely 
you know, absolutely a wrong legal argument. It's a long moral, you know, it's a wrong moral argument. It's unacceptable to use the First Amendment in this way. And, and he'll have no part in it whatsoever. But he never he's not he's yet to do that. Uh, yeah. I just I just want to follow up on the original question real quick, if I can, that um, that conversation we had with one of the assistant attorney generals, Elliot Held, and, um, you know, because we were asking him like about about the documents, how they returned them, you know, how many were returned and all this stuff. And that's when he made those comments um, about you know, this, uh, they're very aggressive attorneys on the other side. The Supreme Court in the state of Wisconsin is very politicized. That's a third rail I'm not going to touch. You know, on that call, he also told me, unfortunately, Peter couldn't be on that one, but he told me that we made his job harder, that it was like worse right. for them, you know, because you have got victims delivering whistleblower documents to the attorney general. I mean, um, it's like, who do you think you're talking to? Like, yeah. who, do you, who do you think we are? You know, there's good um, victims, bad victims. Yeah, you know, that, that's how it works. Exactly. So, so I just, the documents are with the church's lawyer. They've destroyed their copies and yeah. we haven't heard so, anything else. So let me remind our viewers again, we ask uh, the attorney, some representative from the attorney general's office to come on the show tonight. Um, this is not an attorney general bashing session, uh, but we've heard... Uh, uh, we've heard your side of the story, which uh, which which obviously you're very frustrated about the Kate about the pace of this clergy abuse case that Attorney General Josh Call said that he would take on and, and did a public announcement, probably with you guys, uh, you know, a, a PR campaign, probably before an election that that was a feel good thing because everybody wants you know abuse to stop, right? So the question is this: we we've got about a minute or so left. What what do you want to see happen? I mean, what what is the way that this gets solved in a timely fashion that that you can feel you can feel like justice has been done? Well, I mean, you know, it's very clear. It's like in Michigan, the Attorney General of Michigan, and this is where I knew things were bad. What she because I brought this up to to the AG staff. I said, and AG said, look, what she did is on a single day, she went and subpoenaed, she went and got those documents from all the five dioceses there. She just went in and got them at like eight in the morning, whatever, everyone was coordinated, just went in and just got them. She's got over two and a half million documents. Five. They, five million, I'm sorry. Five they've million. gone through, you know, they're through 4.5 million, whatever. They've had 14 arrests that have come out of that already. And on, that's, and, and, and the attorney general, Eric Wilson said, even if we, he was, even if we could do that, we wouldn't do it. Even if we could do it, we wouldn't do it. So it's like, what is going on? Okay, you subpoena the evidence. You want to do an investigation. Now he's calling it something else. Guess what? Get the evidence. Hundreds of victims are calling into that line, re-traumatizing themselves, going through the worst experiences they have ever had in their lives. And so if they can do that, you can, I'm sorry, you can do your job. And it's like, they told us this isn't political specifically. This isn't about politics. This is not going to be about politics. Politics doesn't, okay, fine. Because we were being nice about it. We said it's a political atmosphere and we understand, you know, let's work. And of course, what do, what do they tell us? What's on the tape? It's about politics. That's what it's about. So we're doing what we're doing the way we're doing it for political reasons. And it's like, that is just unacceptable. Get the evidence get the documents, 
okay, and do a thorough investigation. They did it in Pennsylvania. They're doing it in New York. They're doing it in New Jersey. Go over to Michigan, for God's sakes. Get on a plane, go over to Michigan, and talk to the Michigan Attorney General. She will tell you how to fund it, how to do it, how to get it exactly right, because it's not like it can't be done right. It's being done right next door. Let's do it. That's why we elected this man. That's Peter, why office. Wow. I, I I wish we had more time to talk about this because you are just oozing with passion and anger and just so much emotion, which is so entirely appropriate with such a difficult topic like this. We can't thank you enough for sharing your story, sharing an update, helping us get this out there into the public so that people understand what this is all about. And maybe just getting the story out there will keep the buzz going and help with some forward momentum. So Peter Isley, Sarah Pearson from Nate's Mission, thank you for spending your evening with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. to let me die I guess I had to go to that place to get to this one. Now some of you might still be in that place. If you're trying to get out, just follow me. Man, it takes a hell of a lot of courage to do what Peter did tonight and what Sarah is doing. I am so grateful to them for taking the time to share this story and, you know, just, just be with us. Yeah. They, uh, it was, uh, it was a wonderful conversation. Um, and, and it, it's courage. Before you get into your, your talk about courage though, I think it's really important that we talk about just for a minute, some of the resources that are available. This is a hard conversation to have. And for, Many of us, many people out there who have experienced clergy abuse, who have friends, relatives who have experienced clergy abuse, this can be really triggering. There are resources out there. Nate's Mission, natesmission.org is a great resource. It's got lots of information. The whole story is there and it's presented in a very understandable way. So if you want to know more, check out natesmission.org. And if you have, if you've been abused, if you know someone who's been abused, if you have somebody who you, if you have something that you need to report, the DOJ website is supportsurvivors.wi.doj, sorry, supportsurvivors.widoj.gov. And the phone number is 877-222-2620. Okay. So, uh, you know, from the very start of this show, uh, you know, I got from even before that, uh, I got into politics uh, when I was you know, managing the Monaco Brewing Company because I felt like like 
COVID was being mismanaged. My restaurant was going to go bankrupt. And there was no, I didn't feel like there was enough courage to, to stand up and speak the truth, um, you know, against, you know, lies, you know, perpetuated by Donald Trump and, and, and then all, all of his acolytes. And, and so like, and this story kind of plays into that. And, and it unfortunately plays into a larger theory uh, or a larger kind of theme that progressives, unfortunately, sometimes because we have reason and because we have to be the reasonable person in the room, we let chaos and bullies push us around. Um, you know, I just want to give a couple examples. I would love to see Josh Call uh, lead a little bit more, both in this issue and in uh, prosecuting the January 6th insur insurrectionists. I'd love to see Merrick Garland. It's been two years since January 6th. Uh, we still haven't seen any government, uh, uh, any House members, uh, you know, any, anybody, any elected officials, uh, you know, prosecuted yet. You know, I, I think Hillary Clinton was called to testify about the Benghazi trial for nine hours. Yet we couldn't get one congressperson to have to be on the stand like Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, you know, to testify about what she did before the insurrection. Um, second, like even more, I mean, to tell you the truth, I love Barack Obama, but when when Mitch McConnell uh, refused to 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 get Merrick Garland to allow Merrick Garland to go through and be, be a Supreme Court justice, we should have just stopped government until it happened, you know, so it's like we there's been so many instances i feel where we need to just do the next step and we need to allow ourselves to fail kristen what do you think about that i love your passion kirk <laughs> <laughs> reverend kirk but you know I, I agree with you but i will throw i'll temper it a little bit by saying it's easy for us to say we don't know what's going on in the background we don't know what the financial situation is what the uh people power situation is in each of these offices what the political implications are what the relationships are so it's really easy for us to pass judgment but to your point frustrating and it sure would be great to see more forward progress or at least communication about why forward progress isn't happening so I wanted to end the show uh, with a man who was courageous, and it was uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And he had one of the best quotes I've ever read about political courage uh, that I hope inspires many of our progressive politicians to get more political courage. This is what the quote is. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, the man or woman, he wrote this 100 years ago, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, yes, who errs, but who comes short and can come short again and again, but there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, but who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So that the place, the place be with those, so it's better than those who are have timid, cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Beautiful. This from the president who grew up asthmatic and sick and knew that he had to just be out there and do his best and ended up out in the West being a rough rider and in 
Cuba and doing all of these really incredible physical things despite his, you know, frail youth. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, he really gets it. We all need to be a little bit more courageous. All right, everyone. Thanks a lot for joining us at the Up North podcast. We will see you next week. We're going to talk more about the, uh, uh, the, the Supreme Court election and what we have to gain if we elect a progressive Supreme Court judge. Until next week. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good night. Oh,